0: Um, When I was in my late teens, early 20s, I felt this real, I want to use the word, call um, or sense that I wanted to change the world, the actual whole entire world. Ambitious, I know. And um, I just had this sense that I was supposed to be here for more than myself. Um, And it's 20 years since then. And uh, in between, I suppose... There's been times when that sense that I want to change the world has been diluted because I've been busy surviving my own stuff. And don't you find when you've got your own stuff going on, the first thing that goes is your concern for anybody else because you start to become quite self-absorbed dealing with your own stuff. But there's always been that sense that I would like to change um, the world. And I have understood that that works... The world works on a person-by-person basis, doesn't it? So we have all changed each other's worlds, and in doing so, that's changed the worlds of the people that they connect to. And changing the world, we are changing each other's worlds every single day. In every interaction you have with somebody, you might be leaving a mark on their life that makes them a different sort of person. However, there's also this sense, it's still in me, that I want to be part of something, which I believe I am here, that changes the world I suppose the domino effect of that would be very far-reaching. And when I watch things on the news, like this week about that pilot who was killed in a horrendous way, um, my whole heart just thinks, how are we going to change our How are we going to change our world, so that some of those things that we see on the news and some of those things that happen don't happen anymore? Um, or is that someone else's job? not ours. I think I would like to believe that somehow or other, the impact that we can have in our York, in our church here, could be so far reaching that it could reach across the whole world. Or is that just me? Would anyone else like to change the world? Oh, is it, I was going to say, is it actually just me? <laughs> um, now, it's not just on the news that we see this stuff in it, is it? Because my goodness, we see these things um, on a daily basis. We can see things Even with the people we interact with that you think, how can people be like that? How how can people be like that? Because sometimes people do and think and say things that we just think we would never do. And I want to talk to you today about... I've had my title for three days. Didn't have any more than my title, (laughs) but I had my title. Um, And on Wednesday, I knew I wanted to talk to you um, about raising standards. And I work within education, and raising standards is a very common expression. Um, Half my week, I now spend, I'm in a new job now, and I'm not teaching, I'm working with teachers. You know how they say, those who can't can't teach. Well, I'm now those who can't teach, teach, teachers to teach. So I've like, (laughs) that must mean I really can't do any of it. Um, But I spend half my week with um, Raising Standards Leaders, RSLs they're called. And their job in schools, they're responsible for trying, within all the sort of moral frameworks available, for trying to ensure that they get the best grades and the best progress for every single pupil in their school. That is their job, RSLs. Um, Now, the education... I'm not... This isn't a political speech, by the way. (laughs) I'm just using my life to share my thoughts. Now, the education politicians talk about raising standards a lot because they want to ensure, quite rightly, that every child in every class, in every school is getting the best possible provision so that they are as successful as possible. Absolutely nothing wrong with that, a very noble, worthy thing. Now, what they want to do, though, is raise these standards. And how they go about raising standards is this. I'll give you a practical example. At the minute, in primary school, when children get to Year 6, the floor target that every school has to get to to not be in trouble with Ofsted and people and the DfE is they have to get 65% of pupils, minimum, to a low level five. And that's just a standard that's in there's boxes that tell you what that looks like. Now, what's happening from next year's year six is every single child in year six, well, 85% are going to have to get to a mid-level five. Uh, Level four, sorry. That would be even too much. A mid-level four. So 20% of children have got to go one notch further. So in order to raise this standard, guess what they've done? They've literally just said, right, okay, here's the new standard. They've not changed anything. They've just lifted the bar. So often what happens in society is that the government's answer to raising standards is, well, let's just say from now on, Everybody has to just go further. That's it. That's it. Standard is raised. You're all now going to do this even better than you were doing it before because we've said that you're going to go further. Now, I hope you can hear that there's a real flaw in such thinking because it presupposes that the moving of a line itself and the raising of a bar itself will automatically mean that young people can go further. But the reason why young students go further is Well, it's to do with, have they got a decent teacher? Have they got a great learning environment? Have they got support at home? Have they got all of these other variable things in in place? It can't just be that you suddenly decide everyone's going to go further any more than we could just decide, right, as of now, this church will only be okay if the downstairs and the upstairs are full. And then everyone, just because we've said that, will be like, okay then, and come in. It, It doesn't work like that, does it? Setting a standard in itself doesn't mean that it happens. There has to be a process of getting there. Now, I also work with inner-city schools where children sometimes emigrate to the country age 12 from other places. And so they'll join about 12 years old, and by 16, they need to get a C in GCSE English, or else that school is failing. So, of course, that's a very different context, isn't it, to if the school that you're in, the, te- the students have always spoken that language, it's going to be, you would think, slightly easier to get them a GCSE. Now, when I sort of think like this and think about raising standards, I think it's actually really very much dependent, isn't it, on the context, how far you can go in a given space of time because it depends on a lot of variables. Now, we heard about 50 shoulds of grey last week, which if you didn't hear it, I would do recommend you listen to it. Um, And we talked about how this black and white system within a church of how people should behave and their standard that every person should get to in a church is also... um, It's it's also as um, ridiculous, I want to say, because it depends as well on the variables in everybody's life, doesn't it? Just like you can't say a group of children will enter a school and at the end of their schooling they will all be here, it depends on all sorts of factors whether or not they can get there. So to say for anybody to be Christ-like they have to look like X or else it cannot be that they know Christ, it can't be that case, can it? Does that make sense? Now, I want to just read this. It's, I'm going to be using the Luke. Uh, I'm going to be using the Luke 11 passage. Is it Joe at the back? Yes, it is. Um, I want to read this because I want you to see that actually, if this thing was simple, it would be easier. Because the religious people in the Bible that Jesus came across had a real system of right. Well, this is the standard that we're all going to live by. These are the rules and regulations that we're all going to follow. And in us all following these rules and regulations, that's going to make everybody in the group okay. And if there are people that don't meet these rules and regulations, that's going to make those people failures. Right? Let's read it and see if we want this system. I don't think I do. It's called Frauds. I love the title. When he finished that talk, a Pharisee asked him to dinner. He entered his house and sat right down at the table. The Pharisee was shocked and somewhat offended when he saw that Jesus didn't wash up before the meal. But the master said to him, I know you Pharisees burnish the surface of your cups and plates so they sparkle in the sun, but I also know your insides are maggoty with greed and secret evil. Stupid Pharisee. Alice was talking about Jesus. This is Jesus here. Stupid Pharisee. Didn't the one who made the outside also make the inside? Turn both your pockets and your hearts inside out and give generously to the poor. Then your lives will be clean, not just your dishes and your hands. I've had it with you. You're hopeless, you Pharisees, frauds. You keep meticulous account books, tithing on every nickel and dime you get, but manage to find loopholes for getting around basic matters of justice and God's love. Careful bookkeeping is commendable, but the basics are required. You're hopeless, you Pharisees, frauds. You love sitting at the head table at church dinners, love preening yourself in the radiance of public flattery, frauds. you just like unmarked graves, harsh. People walk over that nice grassy surface, never suspecting the rotten corruption that is six feet under. I think you could, he's not building a church very well here, is he? Is he upset anymore? Now, one of the religion scholars spoke up. Teacher, do you realise that in saying these things, you're insulting us? He said, yes, and I can be even more explicit. You're hopeless, you religion scholars. You load people down with rules and regulations, nearly breaking their backs, but never even lift a finger to help. I don't think he's a happy bunny. I don't think he likes it. Um, Now, these people were probably more like me and you than we would like to admit, because they were sincerely, very sincerely and devoutly trying to maintain a standard that they believed God required to the best of their understanding. And it was sincere and they were faithful and good at it because that is what they genuinely believed was required. But Jesus comes along and says, actually, you've kind of missed the point. Um, the last verse there quite clearly says that the way to help is not load people with real rules and regulations. Now, the word burden is used in um, the original version. And burden, I loved this, links to the idea of an invoice. And like when you invoice someone, you invoice them for how much you want to be paid. And so almost the idea was that Jesus was saying, look, you're invoicing people all the time. You're saying, pay this. You've got to pay this. This is what your life's got to look like. This is how it's got to be. This is how it's got to work. This is the standard you've got to get to, to be anywhere near in this thing. And Jesus was saying, stop invoicing people. Stop expecting them to meet it a certain way, to look a certain way, to pay a certain thing. Stop invoicing people stop burdening them and genuinely help them wherever they're at. Now, if you get everyone following the rules, but not engaging their hearts, you get unmarked graves. You get a system, you get an empty thing, but you get no heart and no substance. And in reality, I was thinking about, well, that's true. Because when I think about what it's like in schools, when... um, You get your behavior like that on the kids. And I worked at a tough school. And I mean, you have to have a behavior policy that was like, they were pinned down to the point where they couldn't move. Um, You actually got incredibly passive students because you had to pin them down with the rules so much yeah you got them in a seat but they developed over time as the behavior policy got stricter the people got more passive so going along with a system and then with us sometimes the rules and regulations in our life can make us real passive disciples because it's almost like well and my decision's made for me my decision's made for me now some of you long-term churchgoers, and I am in that category, some of you aren't, but just for those of you who are for a second, I should have had a glass, Simon, because I just spill. I'm like a child or a straw. That's why I have a stall. <laughs> should get Chloe to just come and stand here like this. No prop. She's all right. Now, some of you long-term churchgoers... I've had times of feeling less engaged as some of the rules and regulations have been questioned and become obsolete. And I have too. You're almost like, oh, now I'm not sure what all the rules are. I'm just not quite sure what to do now. Um, And for those of you who are not part of us, we have very much been on a journey as a a group of people. And some people in here have come from very much a very um, strict... um, Church background where there were these things you were allowed to do and these things you were just not allowed to do. And we have learned over time, a little bit like this story reflects, that some of those rules and regulations, although they got us to here, they weren't actually required. And Jesus wants us to have much more of an engaging process in life where we're not worrying so much about have I ticked the boxes? But what's happening in life around me? How am I living my moments? How am I engaging with my day? How am I connecting with people who I walk this journey of life with? Um, But I've completely lost my place. Right, but... For those of us who sometimes struggle with the space that is left where those rules and regulations used to be, that used to just give us something to structure our lives by, we do very much, and I have to as well, and I've had to many times, humble ourselves to see that what that reveals is that we could engage with the system we were in, but we were struggling with the heart of it. And now, and acknowledging that just makes us open up to the fact that some of it was religion. It was. We liked the system. We liked the comfort. We liked what it did for us. But as soon as that lifted, we felt disengaged. The truth is, we were disengaged before. It's just the system gave us that sense that we had something. Um, But it's okay to realize that we don't have to invoice ourselves and work out what we've got to pay and work out what it demands, Um, but we can actually now truly help one another without worry that somehow we haven't got our own box ticked. It means that, right, I don't have to obsess about my own standing before God anymore and whether I'm good enough and whether he's pleased with me and whether I'm following his call on my life and whether it's all my ducks are in a row. I can think, no, he's not invoicing me for anything. I am free, I am accepted, I am loved, so who can I help? And it actually makes us start looking outwards. So how then, skipping a bit, the other thing I'll mention is this. Jesus said, said there's secret evil in their hearts. He said, mention secret evil. And when I looked at what the word wickedness meant, where it came from in the other version, wickedness meant corrupt act or practice or plots. You know if someone's plotting. And what that came to me today was, we can have everything going on on the outside, like, yes, I'm all whatever, But inside, we can be plotting. We can be coming at things with an agenda, working out how we're going to make it work for us, manipulating things, controlling things, and smiling on the outside, but inside, we're plotting for something. And we've heard that before. And again, religion always leaves you with this agenda that you're going to invoice someone. So on the outside, you're smiling, but you're thinking, no, no, you're going to pay me something. You owe me something. I need something from you for us to be okay. And it's that sense in which that's the stuff that stops us actually being everything that we can be for each other. So how then... I'm hating this bottle, Simon. I'm hating it. Can I have a glass? Do you know what? That's my solution, isn't it? If I'm hating the bottle, what should I do? Ask for a glass. There's a little life lesson for you. Ask and thou shalt receive. Now, I I told him I didn't want one. I was trying to be like cutting edge and not have a glass. Now... (laughs) How then do we ensure that standards are raised in a modern society? You know, because there's things not right, isn't there? There's things I'm raising a child in a modern society, and there's things I don't like and want to be different. Thank you so much. Oh, she's actually going to pour it for me. Oh, I feel so loved. I'm happy now. Thank you. And from now on, I shall stick with my stool and my It excuse me. It is plastic, I forgive you, I forgive you, because she was going for speed. The kitchen was further away. Right, how do we raise these standards in a modern society? How do we do it? Um, How do we have a world that we can really approve of and not feel a distaste for when we watch the news? I hate watching the news, I feel I should, but I hate it. Um, How do I raise a child in this world, lead young people, conduct a marriage, contribute to a church, bring people on to ensure that things are done appropriately? How can I be a raising standards leader for God? How can we be ourselves for the Lord? 2015, how do we change the world? Now, let me have a look at, we're going to look at another story. I'm going to call him Zacchaeus. For those of you that call him Zacchaeus, I think that's American, so I'm going to call him Zacchaeus because that's how I was raised. So Luke 19, we're going to look at this story and look at how Jesus went about raising standards, okay? Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, He's on his travels. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. He was a short man. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste, came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying he's gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold." And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So the man is basically robbing people. He's not very nice. In those days, tax collectors, um, they, weren't, they weren't great. So if you're a tax collector now, that's okay. But if you were a tax collector, then it was not okay. So Jesus' way of raising standards in a community is highly controversial. So he comes in, he could have picked anyone's house to go to, and he picks the person who really everyone's thinking, well, he's the worst person's house you could have gone to. He's like scum as far as this community is. And that's the person who you've picked to go and have food with which at that time was an expression of real acceptance so it appears in the story that Jesus must be saying that that's okay then That's okay for you to live your life by that standard. That's okay for you to be ripping people off. That's okay for you to be mistreating people. If you were someone and Zacchaeus had taken money off your family and Jesus comes along as this great sort of speaker you've heard about who's doing all these wonderful things and he picked Zacchaeus' house to go to, you think, well, thanks very much. He's just completely screwed my family over and you want to welcome him and say that that's all right. Would that seem to you like Jesus was raising standards of behavior? Because I don't think it would to me. Now, eight chapters earlier, the same Jesus was bothered about the plotting of the religious leaders and now someone who's blatantly corrupt gets all the attention and all the acceptance with this invitation. Can you see how you might have a problem with that if you were there? Um, Now, I've mentioned this story before and how and that response from the crowd and I mentioned how you might feel and it came back to me again this week because we have all felt challenged in the areas that where we feel that people and even God if you believe in God himself is not setting the appropriate standard for what should be happening to me. This should not be allowed. This is not okay. And who's keeping the standard and making sure this can't happen? And the question we all face within those moments is how are we going to deal and respond to that? Now, Chris talked about the Bible not being a book that is designed to arm us to fight against in the sense that it allows us, like the religious leaders, I'm using my bottle now, like the religious leaders to invoice people for what they know. Do you remember that um, phrase, Bible bashers"? Who's been called a Bible basher? I was. You know, the idea that Bible bashers what you do if you believe in the Bible is you come and you bash everyone else with it and say, you're supposed to do this. The Bible says you're supposed to believe that. You're supposed to do this. And if you don't, then you're going to have to pay. It's not supposed to be that because actually even the Bible itself she explained, was um, humble enough to disarm itself with its apparent contradictions and the mystery and the fact that to read it, you've got to really dig at some of the layers of meaning because over here it'll be saying this and over here it'll be saying that. And you have to think, well, how how can both those things be okay? And it takes some studying and some reading and some understanding to draw out the truth of it. And Jesus was not about going and bashing people over the head with his word and saying, you're not good enough. You need to be better than that. You shouldn't have done that. He didn't do that. He disarmed people. He disarmed them by doing the opposite of what they would have expected God to do. And we've heard that a lot here. Now, it would be easy to look at this story and then go the other direction and say, right. So Jesus, to raise standards, went to his house, showed total acceptance of Zacchaeus, and that meant that his heart was instantly transformed. And from that day forward, Zacchaeus was just a changed man. He became the most generous man in the community. He just thought it was absolutely amazing. So you think, right, okay, well, we'll follow Jesus and we'll just be absolutely lovely and accepting of everyone and everyone will just change like that. Does that happen? Then you think, right. Why can't this just be clear and black and white? Because how many of you have thought, right, okay, I'm going to go this a different way. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to accept. I'm going to love. And that person, just like Zacchaeus, is going to so see the heart of God that they'll be instantly changed. So you think you can't even swing it the other way either and say that just because you love somebody... That's always going to work. But in this instance, it does. In other instances, even with Jesus, he doesn't not win every heart that he approaches like this. He really doesn't. And there's instances where even Jesus, it could not get people's heart to turn towards him. But, um, lost my place. Life does not work like this. We can accept, invest, and people may still not change. But truly raising standards cannot simply be about the systems we put in place in our attempts to regulate others' behaviours to the things we approve of. I'm going to read that again because even I tripped up over it. Truly raising standards cannot simply be about the systems that we will put in place for others to make sure that they get their behaviour sorted. Because it's much harder than that. It's much more costly than that. It actually takes a process of engagement. You have to lay down your preferences, lay down your agendas, and extending ourselves to truly accept and value others, even when we may still disapprove of their methods and their behaviour, is what we have to do. So how can you accept someone if you disapprove of some of them? Because disapproval and acceptance are not the same thing. You can disapprove of someone's choice, of the way they go about things, of what they do, but you accept the value on the person that says, right, as part of your story, in the context you are in, you are actually where you are at and I accept that that is where you are at. I can see that you may need some help and I will come alongside you and however long this takes you, I will help you walk through your life. Because otherwise we become Ofsted inspectors that say you've not met that standard, you're a failure without taking into account anything else that goes along with the story. Now, when Jesus died, he said he um, established a new covenant. He was showing how far love would go for people. And it says, your sins and acts of unrighteousness, I will remember no more. He's going to remember them no more. So they're not there anymore. That's huge. Um, And it appears in that then that Jesus lowered the standard. If you think about it, it might could appear that Jesus lowered the standard and almost said, right, it don't matter what you do now. I'm just you sin, whatever you do, I'm not gonna remember it anymore. I'm just not gonna remember it. And you think, well, how is that raising standards in a society for a God to be that gracious and be that loving and say, none of that matters? Of course it matters. But he says, No, actually, he said, I am going to actually not remember of that anymore because he was not prepared for any person to not be able to come to him and who he was because they couldn't cross the t or dot the i he was like no i don't want anything to keep you away from me so i'll make it that everybody can come now it seems then that that makes the His really standard for what he wanted was really low but actually he was raising a standard so i'm going to use a bit of a play on words here but do you know like when you're raising a standard it was like the flag oh keith you could explain this much better than me but it was like the flag you would have in battle Is that right? And if you were raising the standards in battle, for as long as that flag was in the air, your your men, who were following you, couldn't see you at the front but could see the flag, knew to fight on. So if your standards up, yeah, they knew that they had to fight on. Now, in Middle English, um, it's from the word, Old French, estendard, from estendre, which means to extend. So the word standard actually comes from the idea of extend, like you'd extend the pole with the flag It actually comes from the word extend, which I thought was lovely because if what we're saying is right, the standard that we are going to set is that we are going to extend ourselves for the benefit of others, that's a great standard to live your life by. And Jesus does have this rallying point. It was this rallying point as well where they'd all gather round. And he'd say, come on, gather round this idea. He says, extend yourselves to others, love one another as I have loved you, which is a lot incidentally. um, And he says, stand firm. He says, stand under this. He says, we're going to operate in one law of love. And I know that sometimes we can feel nervous that we think, well, what's the standard anymore? If we don't have the rules and regulations, there's no standard for people to live by. Everyone can do what they want. Everyone's just free. There's no sort of sense of, where are our standards? That's your standard. That's the standard that we're going to stand under that's Says, do you know what our standard is we are going to extend ourselves till it hurts beyond hurt to stand with another person and work their journey with them because that is what he does for us. And when it's hurting, we're gonna still stay, and when it's everything we wouldn't do, and everything we disapprove of, and everything that we're like, why are you doing this? You're killing me, I'm still gonna walk with you. That's the standard, and that's exciting, really exciting, because. Even when you disapproved, based on every measure you have ever been taught, we can accept the value on people and understand that this is just part of their story within this context right now. And it is okay for you not to like it. It really is. But don't burden other people with your rules and regulations either by what you say or by what you do not say. Because do you know people hear silence as much as they hear words. They do. We raise the standard for everyone in community and everyone in the world when we value all types of people enough to keep journeying with them. Work, church, life, home, Think of every context you come into contact with people in. Now, some hearts will change when we extend ourselves this far, like Zacchaeus, and that will be wonderful. Others may not, like they did with Jesus. And it does take two people to walk together. If someone says, I'm not walking with you, you can extend yourself as much as you want, but they've gone the other way. So this does rely on people being willing to walk together, and I understand that. But we will keep our standard that all will be welcome here, and that self-righteousness has no say in this battle. Um, Let's not have a standard in life where we have a hierarchy, that there's some people who are better than me, and there's some people who are worse than me, because people that people are people and people will do things that you would never do and people are willing to do things that you won't do and so we can all we're all somewhere in that mix there and people all have a story and it's not for us to decide who deserves to be loved and who doesn't and we are love as god is love now so long as that flag was held up in battle everyone knew to fight on and there is that standard very firmly that we have in this place and that we want we want to keep fighting for there to be a standard that says everybody is welcome and everybody is accepted, regardless of their stuff. And this is not an easier route because it actually brings an incredible demand, as we've already heard tonight, because there's going to be people that be easier not to have around in our lives um, because we're going to stay. Um, How are we going to find the strength to do this? I'm just nearly finished. Two minutes. How are we going to find the strength to do this? I remember this verse today. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And then I looked up a different version. This is lovely. Again, I'm playing with words, but it's nice. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God, he could put up with anything along the way cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honour right alongside God. Listen to this when you find yourself flagging, think of flag. When you're flagging in your faith, Go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he ploughed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Right, I want you to picture this. Picture someone flagging. You know, you're in your battle, you're trying to hold up your standard that you're going to love and keep loving, and your arm's tired, and it's aching, and your flag's waving and drooping. Yes, and that's the moment where we need to hold each other's hands up and say, no, come on. Keep that standard up. If you're flagging in your faith, faith, lift that standard with confidence because this is a great standard to live your life by because it leads with people and systems are only ever about empowering people, not on ending themselves. Um, now, we're going to finish. I'm going to pray. But there are all all of you have people that you are walking through life with right now. They may not be the people that you were walking through life with six months ago, a year ago, because... Sometimes friendships and times are seasonal, aren't they? But there are people in your life right now that you have committed to walk with and there'll be things that those people do that I've already heard tonight and I hadn't spoken to Beth or Alice or Joel about what I was going to say but um, actually we had had a momentary conversation about what I was going to say. That was a lie. Um, But there will be people that you have committed to walk with and sometimes those people are going to drive you nuts and you are going to think that perhaps they're not being everything they should be or pre- behaving in ways that are appropriate. But if you have committed to journey with them and if they are willing to journey with you, um, let's keep walking together. And for those of you that as yet don't even fully understand what this God thing is all about, what you need to know is that this is how God loves you, that he is not wanting your life to be meet a standard of behaviour or fit into some rule and regulation, or be this thing that you might have grown up with, this concept or idea of what religion is. He actually just says, do you know what? I want to walk your life with you. I just want to share your life with you. I want to be there in the good times, there in to strengthen you when you might need some support. I want to show you how to connect with the people in your life and be part of a great thing called community and live in wherever you are based. Um, And it's actually all just very good news and very wonderful. And he is certainly not invoicing you for anything at all. So would you like to stand and we'll pray and I shall leave you to reflect as you walk away. That rhymed. Lord, I wanna thank you that you are interested in raising standards, but it is not in the way that others may understand that. You're not interested in everybody behaving as perfect people or in insisting that everybody gets bashed with rules for behavior in life. You're interested in raising an incredible standard, which is one of love over every man, woman, boy, girl. And it's a love that never fails. And it's a love that extends itself way past pain, challenge, difficulty, and lays down its whole life. And for those of us in here who have committed to follow you, we recognise today that if we're truly gonna follow you, that has to be our standard as well. That it is not our job to invoice people over their behaviour, and to whip them when they get it wrong. But it's our job actually to keep walking with people, even when it hurts, even when it's hard. If they're willing to walk with us, Lord, then we commit that we'll, we'll go the journey however long it takes. And Lord, I also want to pray in here for everybody who may not yet understand, including me, the extent to which you have committed to raise that standard over each of our lives. May we recognise each day, Lord, that you are not invoicing us for our shortcomings, but that you're rejoicing over the fact that there is no separation between us and you, that that, which, that life and your divine presence which lives in us enables us to be as you are in this world with, with each other and to do something wonderful that can change the world, Lord. And I know tonight that we can change the world, a person at a time, a group at a time. And I just pray that you'll give us the confidence and the strength when we flag in our faith to hold our arms strong and tall and to accept all the implications that come with walking this journey because we do not want to lower the standard of love over people's lives. And for all those, Lord, who have people in here tonight who have chosen not to walk, walk with them anymore and who have hearts that are hurting and broken and sad i also want to pray lord that your love will heal those wounds will heal some of that emptiness lord and will bring into those lives new people to walk an exciting journey with and to go somewhere amazing thank you lord thank you thank you enjoy